1981, a journalist returned to his hometown, Sucre, Colombia, to investigate the long-forgotten 27-year-old murder of his close friend, Santiago Nassar, and the townspeople who literally stood by and watched it all happen. This is Sucre Town. It was an unusual Monday morning on February 8, 1954, in Sucre, Colombia, when Santiago Nassar was awakened at 5.30 a.m. to see the bishop disembark his boat and bless the town. Santiago was dressed in white linen. Hungover from the San Ramon wedding revels the night before, the 21-year-old headed to the docks and disappointedly watched as the bishop passed the town with a cursory blessing at 6.10 a.m. By 7 a.m., Santiago would be, quote, carved up like a pig by the Vicario brothers. Drunk and desperate to reclaim their family honor, the twin brothers slaughter Santiago and Nassar based on the questionable accusation of their younger sister, Angela. What follows is the eyewitness accounts given 27 years later. This podcast attempts to piece together the events of that fateful Monday when Santiago Nassar became a victim of the Vicario twins and maybe the entire town. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 1 of Sucre Town. I'm Mrs. Sheridan. And I'm Mrs. Farmer. Today we're going to be examining the mysterious and tragic events surrounding the death of Santiago Nassar. We'll be reviewing his day. What exactly did he do in the hours leading up to his murder? Who did he interact with? And is it really possible he had no idea his death was imminent? And we'll also be looking at Santiago's background. You know, at 21 years old, he'd lived quite a life, and we'll be discussing his heritage, his relationship with his father, and his relationships with the women in the town. In the next nine episodes, our correspondents will be discussing eyewitness accounts from that day, so that we might piece together exactly what happened, and more importantly, why it was allowed to happen. Perhaps one way to understand Santiago Nassar is to understand who his parents were, and in particular, take a look at Ibrahim Nassar, his father. Now, Ibrahim Nassar was an Arab, and in the early 1900s, he arrives in Sucre and purchases an unused warehouse. Because of shifts in the river, seagoing ships no longer come to town, and the warehouse was cheap. So he converts the warehouse into a house, marries a local gal, Placida Lanero, and in 1933, Santiago is born. The influence Ibrahim had on his son was great. He owned a ranch, the Divine Face, rode horses, tamed falcons, and had an ongoing affair with Victoria Guzman. When Ibrahim lost interest, he moved her into his house as his cook. She never forgave him, and in turn took out her resentment on Santiago. But more on that later. In January of 1951, when Santiago Nassar was just 18, his father suddenly passed away, and Santiago inherited everything, even his father's lustful nature. He was obsessed with Maria Alejandrina Cervantes, the owner of the brothel responsible for taking the virginity of many of the young men in town. Santiago's mother, Placida Linero, was quite different from her husband and her son. She was an interpreter of dreams who spoke no Arabic. While they were robust and lively, she liked to keep to herself, but there was no question that Santiago was the light in her eyes. His loss devastated her. In 
In January of 1954, Santiago Nassar turned 21 years old. One month later, almost to the day, he would be slaughtered by the Vicario brothers. So now let's take a look at Santiago's activities that day. Sunday, February 7th, 1954. Bayardo San Roman, a stranger to the town, weds Angela Vicario, sister of the twin brothers. Now there aren't a lot of details provided about the actual ceremony, except that it was expensive. Santiago spent some time that morning attempting to calculate the actual expense with his good friend Cristo Badoya, and they both concluded that it was the most expensive event that they'd ever attended. What we do know is that by 6 p.m., the formal events had concluded, the couple had left for their new home, and the party had begun. By midnight, the after-party had mostly broken up, but at 2 a.m., Santiago was still drinking with the Vicario brothers, Cristo Badoya, Luis Enrique, the narrator, and others. By 4 a.m., the party had shrunk to just Santiago Nassar, Cristo Bedoya, and the narrator. They drink a little more, and by 4.20 a.m., Santiago Nassar enters his house and asks to be awakened at 5.30 a.m. Victoria Guzman did as she was told. When he comes downstairs, he's dressed in a fresh white linen suit. He sits at the table, sips the coffee that with cane liquor Victoria Guzman has poured him, and expresses his disgust at the way the vengeful cook is handling the disemboweling of rabbits. At 6.05 a.m., Santiago leaves the house after hearing the boat's horn sound, signifying the arrival of the bishop. The roosters down at the docks are creating quite a bit of noise, setting off the other roosters in the town. He's excited to see the bishop, but disappointed when at 6.15 a.m., the boat passes by without stopping. Santiago has less than an hour to live. At 6.20 a.m., he meets up with Cristo Bedoya, and they have the wedding expense discussion. Margot, the narrator's sister, invites Santiago Nassar to breakfast. They were serving manioc fritters, Santiago's favorite. It's now 6.25 a.m., and he decides to go home and change into his ranch clothes before attending the breakfast. He tells them that he will be there by 6.40 a.m., but at 6.45 a.m., he enters the home of his fiancée, Flora Miguel. By this time, Cristo Bedoya has heard that the Vicario brothers were searching for Santiago Nassar in order to kill him. Cristo Bedoya frantically tries to find Santiago so he can give him the 357 Magnum for protection, but it's too late. After visiting Flora Miguel, getting the cold shoulder from her, and hearing from her father that the boys were going to kill him, Santiago Nassar leaves confused. Now by this time, the brothers are waiting at the front door, not aware that Santiago always entered through the back. Dazed and confused, Santiago was having difficulty finding his way home. The entire village was gathering on the square, yet no one except Yamil Shayam spoke with him. Shyam shouted for Santiago Nassar to head towards the old dock. Eventually, Santiago ended up at the main door of his house, later dubbed the Fatal Door, because that's where he met his ultimate fate. One eyewitness, long since dead, testified that, quote, the knife went through the palm of his right hand and then sank into his side up to the hilt. Everybody heard his cry of pain. Santiago didn't go down without a fight. He stumbled and struggled, but the two men were too overpowering and his wounds too deep for recovery. They pinned him to the fatal door with their butcher knives. It was 7.05 a.m. By 8 a.m., the Vicario brothers were behind bars. Today we learn that when Santiago awoke on Monday, February 8th, he had no idea that he would be brutally murdered by the Vicario twins. We also learn that his best friend, Cristo Bedoya, tried frantically to stop the inevitable death. 
And yet, so many other people knew about the Vicario twins' diabolical plan and did nothing to stop it. Why didn't the people closest to Santiago have a way to stop the crime? This season will explore the motivations of key witnesses to the tragedy. Our team will piece together individual timelines through interviews and transcripts, look at the autopsy report, and try to get to the bottom of how an entire town could ignore the impending death of one of its favorites.